As we come uh, to the scripture, let me ask you, please, to pray with me, our Father in heaven. Um, your word is life to us. You say it revives the soul. So for souls that need reviving today, I pray that this word will uh, quicken us. That we'll be aware of the great life that is ours in Jesus. A life that is united to you, God. Not estranged from you, but united to you. And thus, all that you've made us to be is there, right with you. So we look to you to um, define us, tell us who we are, uh, particularly whose we are. We look to you to direct our lives, to instruct us as to what life is and how we're to live. And then uh, we know that once, once we get that, that there's great delight in being yours and following after you. Um, so please now be with us. Open your word to us uh, in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn, please, to Ruth, uh, uh, chapter 4, please. I want to read verses 1 through 17. Uh, this little book in the Old Testament, Ruth, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, number Joshua, Judges, then Ruth. So Ruth, chapter 4, please. Um, this <clears throat> is the word of the Lord. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there, and behold... The redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took 10 men of the elders of the city and, and said, sit down here. So they sat down. And then he said to the redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say... Buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one beside you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to I'm sorry, perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now, this was the custom in the former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilion and Malon. And also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, 
who uh, together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife and he went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. And then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, A son has been born to Naomi and they named him Obed. For he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. And then together we say, The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. This is a wonderful, compelling story. Uh, it really tugs at us in all kinds of, of, of different ways, intellectually, emotionally, and so forth. As I've said before, at least for me, it reminds me of like a parable of Jesus that we meditate on and we think upon. And we know that it's more than just a story. There's something here for us to grab a hold of and to kind of chew over and learn from. And this, of course, this situation is, is different than the parables of Jesus in that this, is, this actually happened. These are a, a real place, real places, Bethlehem and Moab, uh, uh, a real time period, the time of the judges. And that tells us something about the, the state of Israel during that time when everybody did what was right in their own eyes. Um, real people, uh, this Elimelech and his wife Naomi and Ruth and Orpah and their husbands um, and Boaz. And then even this one called a friend, literally in this chapter four, it'd be more directly translated rather than a friend as Mr. So-and-so. Not that he was a so-and-so, but he just didn't, he's just not named. And that should tell us a bit of something about the situation with him. But, but it's, a, it's a real situation that, that, that took place. But, but we realized that it was given to us so that we might learn something. When we introduced Ruth uh, a few weeks ago, uh, we made mention of the fact that, that the New Testament tells us a bit why the Old Testament was given to us, particularly the Old Testament. For instance, in 1 Corinthians in chapter 10, verse 11, uh, Paul writes, Now these things happened to them, that is, these events happened in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament to Israel. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. So we know that we read this, we're to be instructed by it. And at least this in part, uh, the apostle says, therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands, take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to, to man, to human beings, but it, God is faithful and he'll not let you be tempted beyond your ability but with the temptation, I'll also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. And so realize this instruction, this warning, don't be like them. Uh, trust God, he'll help you. And then when Paul writes to the church in Rome, he puts it a little bit differently, different intention, as he writes Romans, then that part of 1 Corinthians. But in Romans chapter 15, uh, verse 5, verse 4, we have this. For whatever was written in the former days 
was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. And so we realize I'm reading the Old Testament also, not just for instruction and warning, but that hope I'm supposed to be encouraged at the end of this. And so the question was the encouragement here. And we also know that when we read through the Old Testament, we're given we're given uh, pictures. Uh, some friend of mine calls it shadowy pictures of Jesus. That that we see him, and we see in the life of ancient Israel so much that teaches us about the Messiah, who he is, and what he's going to do. In this particular incident that we read this morning, what we learn about is this concept. And the reality of redemption. That there's a redeemer and there is redemption through that uh, redeemer. We, we hear the expression, this kinsman redeemer. And, and so really, if a, a little kid came to his parents in ancient Israel and said, could you teach me about redemption? Uh, his parents could tell him a number of things, as we'll see, but particularly this story of Ruth, because you see, the concept of redemption and having a redeemer punctuates the history of Israel and also permeates or is woven in, in everyday life. You couldn't be an Israelite and not have a sense about what redemption uh, was. It punctuated their history. They had been, they were a people who had been uh, redeemed. For instance, in Exodus in chapter 6, as uh, uh, God is promising to deliver his people, uh, he puts it like this uh, to Moses. He says, say therefore, this is uh, Exodus 6, 6, say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and I will deliver you from slavery to them and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. They were enslaved in Egypt, as you might remember. And so God says, I'm going to, going to redeem you. So they would know of themselves always that they were a redeemed uh, people. In fact, um, David, King David later, uh, in expressing his gratefulness to God, speaks of, of, that, uh, of that very uh, redemption. It must be Second Samuel, excuse me, I found the wrong place. Speaks of that redemption in Second Samuel uh, chapter 7, verse 23. And he says to God in praise, And who is like your people Israel, the one nation on earth whom God went to redeem to be his people, making himself a name and doing for them great and awesome things by driving out before your people, whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt, a nation and its gods. And so, so they, would, they would understand themselves to be redeemed. I mean, I bet they had t-shirts that said, Israel, a redeemed people, right? I mean, that's, that's kind of how important all this in terms of their identity uh, was. And they, they knew what redemption meant. It meant that you had been enslaved and then delivered, that you had, had, had been in captivity and then delivered, that you had lost your freedom and now it was restored. And, and so, there's this sense of being delivered, of being set free, and also in the context of redemption, some sort of price uh, being paid. In, in fact, during uh, daily life, 
they would they would see this. For instance, in Exodus in chapter 13 and verse 11, um, the instruction concerning the people um, uh, after uh, the exodus, if you will, after they left uh, Egypt. Verse 11, when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, that land of promise, as he swore to you and your fathers and shall give it to you, you shall set apart to the Lord all that first opens the womb. All the firstborn of your animals that are males shall be the Lord's. Every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb, or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. In other words, even the firstborn of a donkey had to be redeemed, if you will. And people would do that so they would have a donkey. They needed that. Uh, But this concept of redemption, every time an animal was born, the firstborn, born, if you will, that was male, they, they knew I had to pay for this in some way to God. I have to bring a, an offering to the Lord uh, to keep it. And they would understand redemption. A price is paid. Life kept. Every firstborn of man among your sons shall be redeemed. Uh, you shall redeem. Uh, so a price had to be paid. And why? Verse 14. And when in time to come your son asks you, what does this mean? You shall say to him, by a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. And therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord all the males that first opened the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. It shall be as a mark on your hand and the frontlets between your eyes. For by a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt. They would always know about redemption every time. A child was born, the firstborn. They'd get it. Oh, okay. I remember now. We are a redeemed people. God bought us, paid a price that we would be his very own. He freed us from slavery so that we could live and walk with him. And this this redemption was so so important in, in the land that God made provision in various ways. Again, redemption in the course of their lives. Um, in ancient Israel, if, if a person... Uh, became poverty stricken. Uh, uh, God said to his own people, they're your relative, take them in, help them. That's your responsibility. But if they would happen to sell themselves as a servant, a slave to a foreigner, then if you're a family member, go and redeem them, go and buy them, set them free from that. They shouldn't be in that situation. So set them free from that. And he also said, this land is so important as to stay in, in your name and in your family. This is your inheritance. And so there are various laws, you see, about keeping land uh, for themselves in their family. So in Leviticus chapter 25, we read this. Verse 23. The land shall not be sold in perpetuity, for the land is mine, for your strangers and sojourners with me. And in all the country you possess, you shall not, you shall allow a redemption of the land. So, verse 25. If your brother becomes poor and sells part of his property, then his nearest, his nearest redeemer, relative, shall come and redeem what his brother has sold. If a man has no one to redeem it, then, uh, and, and then himself becomes prosperous and finds sufficient means to redeem it, let him calculate the years since he sold it and pay back the balance to the man he sold it to whom he sold it and then returned his property. But if he doesn't have sufficient means to recover it, then what he sold shall remain in the hand of the buyer until the year of Jubilee, until 
in the Jubilee shall be re- released and he shall re- uh, return to his property. So in ancient Israel, any time land was sold, it was really rented. It was, could only be kept. So the price of it would be calculated on the basis of how many years till the year of Jubilee when I have to give it back. So if it was a lot of years, you'd pay a lot for it. If there wasn't very many years, you wouldn't pay a lot for it. And so, so this sense of, of it always went back. But a kinsman could redeem it for that person. Not only that, the names of the family were so important. Having an heir to perpetuate the land. If there was no heir, then the land would fall to another and leave that particular family. And so provision was made that that wouldn't happen. In Deuteronomy chapter 25, we read this. If brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the dead man shall not be married outside the family to a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her as his wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. And the first son whom she bears shall succeed uh, to the name of his dead brother, uh, that his name may not be blotted out of Israel. And I know how this sounds to us, but this culture, this way of perpetuating names, of perpetuating land in what they considered to be the land of promise, really in a way closer than we can understand the, the new heavens and the new earth. This is the land of God for them. And so uh, to maintain the property, if your brother is poor and sells it, go redeem it so it stays in the family name. And if your brother dies and has no heir, then he needs an heir. And so another brother would take that, his brother's wife, so that there would be an heir, so that the property would remain in that family. Well, that's all the backdrop of what we have in Ruth concerning this redemption. And you remember, just the day before, in the life of Ruth and Naomi, that it was dark. And Naomi had said to Ruth, this Boaz is our kinsman redeemer. He's the one who can get our property back. He's the one who can reestablish our name in this place. We have no one else. My husband has died. My sons, your husband has died. We haven't a name in Israel. But here's this one who's a close relative of ours. He can be the redeemer. So, so you remember that, that Naomi gives Ruth these instructions and we kind of marvel at them. Just thinking, she says, now, I know he's been working hard with the men on the threshing floor and he's going to eat and he's going to drink and he's going to go to bed. When he goes to bed, I want you to sneak over in the dark and I want you to uncover his feet and lay there and then do whatever he says. And we go, oh. and then Boaz wakes up, startled, and then he sees her there and he says, who are you? Because it's the middle of the night and he's not accustomed. He didn't go to bed with anybody and so here she is. And so uh, she tells him who she is. I'm Ruth. And you're Boaz, the redeemer. Redeem. I come. Take refuge under your wings, if you will. And he says, oh, okay. I understand that. And at that point in the story, you know, first we were we were just uh, 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 sucking air because there was Ruth in this very dangerous situation. Look to us, and then our heart flutters when we see Boaz react the way that he does. And then uh, all of a sudden, uh, everything seems right. But but then Boaz, because he's such a worthy man, such a good man, says, "Well, really, if we're going to follow the law, 
then there's a, somebody closer than me. And we're thinking, oh, come on, Boaz, this is such a great story. You're ruining everything. Just just marry her. Let's be done with this. We'll be happy. All will be well. But then part of us thinks, well, maybe knowing God, this other kinsman redeemer who's closest, going to be even better than Boaz. And we I can't imagine that. So we just want to get on with it. And so, so he, he gives uh, Ruth protection for the night and some grain to take home. And Naomi says, just wait. He'll deal with this quickly. So that's where we find ourselves now at this particular moment. And so Boaz goes to the city gate. Now, if you're like me and you picture a gate and you go, that seems uncomfortable. Uh, you know, it's a big gates and he just kind of stands there in the gate. Well, not really. I mean, he went to the gates of the city, but the, the idea was around the gate of the city was like the public square. And that's where business was taken care of and politics happened and where legal uh, uh, um, um, situations uh, were dealt with there among the elders of the city. And so so the, the prominent elders of the city uh, would go and gather there various days, perhaps each day during the week to to. To, to, for business and other kinds of affairs. Now, I have in my mind, because with the times in which I live, that probably what happened after uh, Boaz got up that morning, he phoned or texted uh, this nearer kinsman redeemer and said, hey, meet me by the gate. But uh, probably not. And we even get a sense from the narrator that though Boaz had a great amount of confidence that he was going to take care of it right away and take care of it that day, he says, behold, there he is. And so you get a bit of surprise uh, just to kind of keep us on our toes uh, in the story. Like, okay, God's doing something here. And so here comes this various one. Boaz goes and sits down. And when he goes and sits down, that's important. Because he's saying by sitting down, I'm here for business. I'm here. I have some something to take care of here. I'm not going to just walk around. I'm going to sit. And I have authority to be able to do that and be recognized in this place. And so he does. And so he sees this redeemer. And, and here uh, it's translated friend in various ways um, in scripture. But it really is in literally in Hebrew uh, such and such or so and so he's not given a name and that, that's significant for us because names were so important in all of Israel and in this story that when he isn't given a name we kind of think who is this mysterious stranger what's up with that and so Boaz calls him over and uh he says, come and sit down. And so the guy sits down and you get the sense the guy knows something's up. Uh, Boaz wants to, to, to deal with me in some way, a business deal or legal matter. Something is up with Boaz and they, they, they know each other. And so he comes and sits down. And then Boaz gets 10 uh, of the elders of the city and say, uh, I need you to sit down. So you've got witnesses and you've got these two guys. They're going to deal with each other in some way. And Boaz is, is the one who is instigating, who's kind of uh, making all of, all, of this, all of this happen. And so he lays it out for him in verse 3. He says to the Redeemer, Naomi has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative 
Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you redeem it, redeem it. And so, so Boaz is just laying out what the law says. I mean, what we read earlier from previous passages in Leviticus and so forth. And so he says, you're the close one. She's in trouble. She's come back. She's in a sense nameless. Here's this property that um, really belonged to her husband. Now, we don't have all the details here. For instance, we don't, we don't know what's been happening to this land for all these years. She's been gone at least 10. It's a long time. Did it just lay fallow? Did somebody else pick it up? Is somebody else sort of using it? Or is it there? Uh, well, the truth is, if, if it just lays there, she really can't do anything with it. Her husband is dead. And so, and her son is dead. So Boaz lays it out, says, what you need to do is the close relative, according to the laws, buy it so she'll have money to live. Boaz goes on. But if you won't, uh, tell me that I may know so there's no one beside you to redeem it and, I'll come after, and I come after you. And he said, I'll redeem it. Uh, the man says, I'll redeem it. And the reason is, it's, it was a good deal. I mean, here's this Naomi. She can't have any more children. She's old. And so he gets the land, pays her something. She lives. But then when she dies, since there's no heir, it's his. So he gets the land. It comes into his family. It's going to bless his people, his heirs. And so his property rights will expand. Verse 5. Then Boaz said, And the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Now, it's fascinating. And I don't know why. Was this a strategy on Boaz's part? You know, like, I want to make sure I'm clear and you understand. So you get the redemption part and you understand your role in that. That's really your place. But then he adds something else. He says, uh, Ruth comes with this, the young woman, Ruth. And there is a certain responsibility then to provide an heir in this family. And so she's able to do that. You're able to do that with her. And so what that means is now there'll be an heir. And what that means is that when Naomi dies and when Ruth dies, then the property will go not to you, but will revert back to the name, the family of Elimelech and Malon. And it won't be yours. But this is your responsibility. This is what we do as Israelites. This is how we help each other. This is how we keep people from going into poverty in, in, in our nation, in our family, if you will. And this is how we keep the land uh, as God would have it. And so there you go. And the guy scratches his head, no doubt, and says, ah, that's too big a cost. It'll hurt me and my kids. To do that. So. I can't redeem it. Take my right. Of redemption yourself. For I cannot. Uh, redeem it. And then like we do. As soon as he said that. He took off his shoe. Uh, it's really hard to tell. Who took off whose shoe. Whether it was Boaz who took off his shoe. Or the other guy who took off his shoe. It's likely that it was the other guy who took off his shoe. And gave it to Boaz. In a sense saying I won't walk on this land anymore. This isn't, this isn't mine. Contract. Was signed. 
And then Boaz had to make it very clear. Verse 9. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, your witnesses to, to this day that I've, uh, that I've bought the, uh, from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech, Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilion and to Malon. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought. That sounds a little harsh for us. But in the culture of the day, it wasn't as harsh as it sounded. It was sort of like the same as us saying, I've taken her under my wings or I am marrying her. I've bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. Your witnesses this day, then all the people who are at the gate uh, and the elders said, we are witnesses. And so if ever this Mr. So-and-so came back and said, hey, no, that's really mine. Everybody in the city would say, no, it's not. We were there. We were witnesses. We signed your sandal. We, uh, you know, that's, there, there's no question now. And so Boaz has thoroughly, thoroughly, thoroughly redeemed the land and the name of the family with, 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 with no question. And if ever it's questioned, and then you just talk to, to one of the witnesses. That's it. And then the great blessing of redemption. Now, the little kid comes to his mom and dad in Israel and says, what's redemption? Or, if any of us ever asks, what's redemption? Well, we can go to a lot of different places in Scripture and we can think that through, but we can tell ourselves this story. This particular incident. Because, see, what we learn here is that the Redeemer has to be a kinsman. The Redeemer has to be one like us. The Redeemer has to be related to us in some very, very close way. That the Redeemer has to know us and be like us and empathize, if you will, with us. What else would cause a Redeemer, really, to to do such a thing? to, 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 To sacrifice in the way that a Redeemer had to sacrifice in order to help his brother or his sister you have to go, you're my family. Uh, we belong together. And, and so I'm, I'm like you. And so when, when you think about our own redemption, um, I don't think this is, this, is, this is too much to go to just to really realize that our Redeemer, of course, is one like us. He had to be made, us, made like us in, in every way. I mean, that's the, the great mystery, the great amazing aspect of the Incarnation. But the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That, that, that God himself took on humanity. Uh, we see that in, in, in the scriptures, for instance, in, in, in Philippians and chapter 2. This great passage that we often use as a profession of faith. Uh, Verse 5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, that is Christ Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. And that just doesn't mean the appearance of a servant, but taking, becoming a servant, if you will. Being born in the likeness of men, 
He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This very one, Jesus, of course, who took on flesh. Hebrews, the author of Hebrews, puts it like this in Hebrews in chapter 2, making this very same point, verse 14. Since, therefore, the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise, that is Jesus, partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who, is, who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who, through fear of death, were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it's not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest to the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he's able to help those are being tempted. This very one is our kinsman. He's like us. The, the great creeds of our, of our faith lay this out. The Apostles' Creed, which we use often. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. That's to remind us, oh yes, he's like us. The Nicene Creed, which was probably more interested in making sure we get this. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. And in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate, by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man. He's like us. He's that close to us. There's no one closer to redeem us. And the second thing is, as we, as we run through this redemption story, we realize that Boaz and Boaz alone was the redeemer. Naomi and Ruth could do nothing to redeem themselves. They were utterly poverty-stricken. They had no name. They had nothing at all to get this property back. They had nothing at all to get this name back. If Boaz or this closer redeemer couldn't do it, then it couldn't be done. All that they brought was, first of all, their emptiness. I mean, Naomi said, I... I, I left full and I came back empty. My name was first pleasant, now it's bitter. I don't have anything at all. Completely and wholly bankrupt. I don't have anything to redeem this property, to, to, to buy it back. And they came with faith, but you see, faith isn't anything <laughs> in the sense of bringing something. When we come with faith, we leave everything else behind and go to the one who can help us. Faith isn't a work. It's not something that I merit the movement of the other to help me. I say, I have nothing. You're my only hope. So they, they bring absolute. We bring absolutely nothing, right? As we come, Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, 
for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. See, we, we come saying, I haven't got anything at all. And he says, when you come to me empty, you leave full. How did he put it here? Matthew chapter 11. Come to me, Jesus said. All you who are labor and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I'm gentle and lonely in heart. You'll find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. He says, come to me. You have nothing. You just have weariness. And come and bring your wearies to me. Weariness to me. And I'll give you rest. Remember that rich young man who came to Jesus? He came full. He had everything. He had listed all his assets, which he did. Everybody would have been impressed and said, well, you don't need anything, do you? And he says, well, I don't quite have the kingdom of heaven. That's all I don't have. <laughs> and Jesus said, if you want the kingdom of heaven, you have to come empty. You can't come with all this stuff. You can't come trusting in all this stuff. You can't say, this is my security. This is my life. This is my identity. You've got to say, no, 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 it's not. You come empty and, and then you'll be filled. And, and, and he couldn't. He wouldn't. He went away sad. He said, listen, if you want to save your life, you need to lose it for my sake. If you want to, if you want to do it yourself, if you want to save your life, sorry. But if you want to lose it, if you want to say, no, 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 that isn't it. I have no life without you. Oh, then he said, oh, then you'll, then you'll really, then you'll really save it. And that's what redemption is. You see, redemption says, I can't do it. I, I need a redeemer. And so we need to come to this very one. And we come by faith alone. You know, the scripture is so clear to us. Uh, perhaps the clearest text or one of the clearer texts on this is Ephesians in chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace, you've been saved through faith. And this is, your not, this is not your own doing. Uh, it is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one can boast. So, no, 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 you see, you come by faith. And what that means is you, you come empty. You have nothing. But you know the one who has everything. And you're trusting that he will give. For you are his workmanship, not your own, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which you, God prepared it beforehand, that we should indeed walk in them. And, and we get it, we know. We know the whole deal here, that we're enslaved because of sin right we're enslaved because of sin Jeremiah the prophet says um, the heart is deceitful among all, above all things who can know it we can't even trust our own hearts why because of, of sinfulness and so if we're following our own passions our own hearts we realize we'll be led astray and we can't trust that and, but we're there we're enslaved to that How, who will ever break this thing uh, Jesus said uh, men love darkness Rather than light. So when the light even comes, how are we going to get it when, when we love, when we love darkness? Jesus said, if you sin, you're a slave to sin. And so we get it. We're, we're there. We're slave to sins. It's penalty. The guilt of it. And it's power over us. And what happens then, it brings misery into our lives. We're supposed to be united with God and made in his image and living in him and through him and for him. And yet sin causes us to go our own way. That's the problem. That's why it's so hard to, to recognize. And it's, it's hard to recognize 
because we're like fish in water. The, the fish never recognize the water. It just seems normal to them. This seems normal to us until something comes in and breaks that in us and enables us to see it. And that's the redemption of Jesus. He comes and he, he breaks the penalty of sin, frees us from its guilt so we can breathe. We don't have to make excuses. We don't have to try better and try harder. We, we can... We can Trust him in faith that he forgives us. And he gives us his righteousness, you see. His redemption. He breaks it. He's our redeemer. Then we realize from this story that, that, that redemption is, is a work of God's free grace. It's interesting to me how all this plays out. God in his providence could have had Ruth and Naomi go directly to the closest redeemer. He could have worked in that closer redeemer's heart and he, that closer redeemer could have redeemed him and we'd have had the same sort of story, but we wouldn't see this. We wouldn't see the sweet, loving, gracious, voluntary redemption. The Boaz doesn't have to do this. Boaz doesn't have to do this. He's not the close one. He could say, well, I did the best I could. I got the close guy. And he said, no, I'm like, you know, three steps away from the close guy or even one step away from the close guy. But that's not my job. I don't, I don't have to do this. It's his. And he just, sorry. But, but then you realize, so he was free to say no, but, but he didn't. He actually took it upon himself to love in this way. And I suppose... As Ruth and Naomi look back, Ruth particularly, and looks at Boaz and think he really does love. He didn't have to do this. You know, God's under no obligation to save us. He's under no obligation to redeem us. And yet he does. And that's the amazing fact about Jesus when he comes and he says, no one takes my life. I give it. That is one of the most remarkable statements in all of the scriptures. Jesus said, nobody takes it. I give it. The expression in, in Hebrews 12, it was for the joy that was set before him that he endured the cross, scorning its shame. You go, really? <laughs> joy? It wasn't that he went to the cross laughing. It was painful and all that. But there was something within that said, I, I want to do this. This is actually my delight. Because my father will be glorified and I'll save my people. And that was the joy of it, you see, to know that. And, and then this too, that we see the cost of redemption. Again, had not this all not been laid out, we wouldn't have really perhaps seen the cost of it. Because this... Closer Redeemer shows us that there's a real cost to redeeming Ruth and Naomi in this situation. Uh, and that is that you're going to give out money in order to buy some property that will never be yours. And at the end of the day, it's gone. And you've spent part of your kid's inheritance on it. And they're not going to benefit from it. But Boaz said, that's okay. 
I'll take that cost. It was the same cost to Boaz. He wasn't going to get anything from this situation. He was going to, the land would gonna, wasn't going to be in his name. Eventually it would go back to Elimelech's name or Malon's name, not his, even though the child was his. And he was willing to pay that cost. And you see the cost. We know this. And Jesus said, I've come not to be served, but to serve and to give my life, my life, as a ransom for many. We're redeemed by his blood. Sometimes people read all these blood passages. You know, we sing all these blood hymns. And we have communion, we talk about blood. Who talks about blood like we talk about blood? Most people are squeamish about blood. They don't want to talk about blood. They don't want to think about blood. We talk about blood all the time. Like blood is great to us. And it's great because it represents Jesus giving his life for us. Take all the blood out. The flesh is dead. He gave his life, his blood. That was the cost of it. And sometimes we think because he was Jesus, it would have been easy, right? And then we go to Gethsemane. And there at that moment, Jesus so troubled in his soul. And you think, why? Why was he? I mean, other people have died as martyrs even. Other people have given their lives for good causes. Soldiers in in battle. Uh, parents at times uh, for children throwing their bodies in, 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 in front of danger for the, all that sort of thing. People have died uh, and, and died nobly and courageously. And here's Jesus on his face saying, please don't let this happen. Well, it was because he knew the cost. The cost was that the very perfect, holy Son of God would receive upon himself the guilt of sinners and face the wrath of God. And in some sense, every unforgiven human being when they die, faces the wrath of God. Thus, no unredeemed, unforgiven human being should face death in any other way but with terror, as Jesus did. But he took that for us too. So he took the sting out. So when we die, even though death is just unpleasant as it can be, and still the enemy, when we die, we know that we needn't fear it because we're redeemed. He paid the price. See, Gethsemane was Jesus' time at the gate. It sounds silly, but, but for the Mr. So-and-so, he was at the gate and he's, he, he calculated the cost and he said, I can't pay it. Jesus went to Gethsemane and he calculated the cost and he says, not my will, but your will be done. I'm going. And you see that, that he was the Boaz. He says, I know how much this costs. Again, there's no comparison. I know how much this costs. I'm going to take us so over redeemed. It's costly. And we, we know. Then the great love with which he loved us. To take that. And then finally this. Uh, it's secure. I mean, the, the, the uh, 
redemption of Ruth and Naomi was so secure. Uh, Boaz jotted every, dotted every I, crossed every T, had every witness he needed, made sure everything was on the up and up, made sure everything was signed, sealed, and delivered, made sure there were witnesses everywhere, made sure that if there was any, every, any, any time anybody came against that redemption, that it could not be questioned. And so the father did the very same thing with Jesus when he raised him from the dead. And he said, here's my announcement. Here's the announcement that everything has been paid, that the redemption of my people, the redemption of the sin of sinners has happened. And Jesus now has paid it. He's, he's, he's alive. He's the living witness. And here's my spirit upon my people to guarantee it. He'll witness to your spirit that you really are one of mine. I'll give you my word and it will continue to affirm and affirm and affirm the deal is done. It's a covenant. It's a will. It's, it's testimony. It's witness to the very fact that you have been, if you're a believer in Jesus, redeemed. And then the great passage in Romans chapter 8. So who can bring a charge against his elect? Well, no one. Why? Because it's Christ Jesus who justifies. He's the one who redeems. It's done. And everybody in the city gets together every Sunday And says, it's done. We have been redeemed. So if you're ever wondering what redemption is, tell yourself this story again and again and again. Hmm. Let's pray. Father, thank you for helping us. Thank you for blessing us. Thank you, Jesus, for redeeming us. Please, I pray, may we get that, may we know that, may we live in that, may we marvel at that. I suspect both Ruth and Naomi, maybe Naomi the most, marveling at this great redemption. When she was in Moab, she could not even hope to know God But yet you brought God to her through this family and then gave her life in the land of promise just like us. So please help us to know that, to live in that. For those who struggle on this day, please bring the truth of the redemption through Christ to them. That all of us may know that You love us, that it's your work, that Christ paid the cost, that it's secure. This I pray in Jesus' name.